thought I thought I would turn that up just a bit. I uh, I was out here earlier, kind of walking through this and like was going through my notes and uh, and constantly the wind was blowing. If you guys were outside any at all earlier, you, would, you know the wind was just crazy. Um, and and I was sitting there thinking like I'm at some point tonight going to throw everything on the ground and just scream in anger because that's where I was earlier. Um, but thankfully the wind has died down um, and I'm excited to dig into this. Uh, lesson tonight. Tonight we get to look at this lesson that, that we're calling Onward from Deception as we continue in the Onward series. And I think as we look at this passage of scripture where we're going to be, if you want to open up to Genesis chapter 29, that's where we're going to be in just a minute. Um, but as we get into this passage in just a minute, what I think we're going to find is that we are going to see a beautiful challenge that we all can take as we go out into our lives. And, and maybe we can sit there and look at who we were in the past, maybe t instances that we had in the past, and also options uh, for ourselves, options, like we're selecting menu options, but, but things that we can live by as we go into the future, and I think that we can take a lot out of what we're going to see in Genesis chapter 29. Have you ever been done wrong? You know, like, like someone does you wrong, someone mistreats you, maybe somebody treats you poorly, Maybe they told you they were going to do one thing and, and, and then they did a different thing. You totally just got tricked out of what they were going to do. Uh, maybe someone uh, was so good to you for so long and you find out that all along it was just a facade. Have you, any, has anyone ever just simply deceived you, lied to you about who they were? I think that almost all of us sitting in this room or in this pavilion, have at one time been deceived? Have at one time been at a place where someone tricks you, where you, where you feel conned? Maybe, uh, maybe it, was, it was an instance um, that you never expected, and yet there it was happening in your life. How do you handle it? Right now, you're sitting there, besides all the rebellious males on the back row over there, you're sitting there with your family, uh, as, as you were instructed to do. I'm very proud of those of you who are sitting with your family. Um, but you're sitting there with your family right now, and I want you, as we get into this lesson tonight, to take a couple of minutes to say, okay, think about a time when you were deceived, and, and kind of have a little bit of discussion with the people you're sitting there with, and say, hey, this is a moment where I was deceived, and, and someone uh, conned me or... or uh, lied to me. So I want to take just a couple of minutes, talk about what the people around you, and then we're going to get back into that. That's going to be our illustration throughout class. But talk about a moment when you were deceived in your life. I'm going to back away and give you guys a couple of minutes. All righty, all righty. I'm going to we're going to reel it back in here for just a minute. I said reel it back in. Um, hopefully in this, that short time, I don't know how long that actually was when we had time to talk about this. Hopefully you were able to sit there and identify a moment in your life when you were deceived. When someone came up to you and you just felt absolutely uh, lied to. Amelia and I enjoyed sitting there um, sharing moments when we felt deceived in our life. Uh, and, and that was a, a good thing. Um, I realized I didn't have a group, and neither did Amelia, so it worked out. Um, but how did you handle that time of deception? Think about that moment. Maybe you shared that with the people around you. Maybe you didn't. But, but how did you handle it? How did you handle it if you knew the person who wronged you? 
How insulting was it to you to know the person who did you wrong? That, that, that How angry does it make you? Did it cause a lot of rage because you thought you could trust the person and it turns out you couldn't? Maybe you didn't see them as a liar and yet there they were lying to you. They disappointed to you. Maybe, uh, maybe you lashed out at them or, or maybe you walked away and hung your head um, and left them alone. Did you try to right what was wrong, or did you just let it stay wrong? Maybe you didn't know the person who in your story you said, yeah, this is a time of deception. Does that make you more or less angry? The fact that somebody who has no idea who you are is sitting there trying to ruin a moment in your life. Does it make you more or less angry? I think either way, when we think about deception, when we think about what it is in our life, and I'm sorry for the wind noise. If, if I didn't have this, it would be a, a disaster for, for my voice. But if we think about deception in our life, no matter what it is, it's something that makes us angry. And when we think about people in Scripture who go through this deception, we could go to many, many places where we could sit there and be like, they were deceived, they were deceived, they were deceived. But tonight we're going to be uh, in Genesis chapter 29, where we're going to see uh, this dude Jacob, uh, the former name of Mr. Israel himself. But Jacob go through some major deception uh, in his life. In this passage in Genesis 29, we're going to see Jacob seeking his wife. Uh, so his parents say, hey dude, go back to the land of your mother. Don't marry someone from here. So Jacob goes on this journey to go to look for a wife in the land where they were living. And he finally gets to that location. He finally arrives uh, and, and he sees some shepherds working and, and they're at a well. And he says, I'm going to go have a conversation with these dudes, see what's going on with them. And so this is where we're going to pick up in verse 4. And we're going to go through this story tonight because I think this story uh, can give us a, a lot of great lessons. Verse 4, Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? They said, we are from Haran. He said to them, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, we know him. Check mark. He said to them, is it well with him? They said, it is well. And by the way, we see Rachel, his daughter, coming with the sheep. What a great moment in the life of Jacob. Here he is. He, he, he travels this entire journey, right? Running from his brother. We'll get to that in a minute. But he's, he's running away from his brother. He's going to find himself a wife. He gets to this town. He finally gets there and goes to some shepherds and says, Hey, guys, uh, do you know my family member? And they say yes. And, and they're like, Oh, and by the way, here comes his daughter. And you got to think Jacob at this moment is like, Wow, this is, this is way too easy. This is easy. It's working out perfectly for Jacob. And so Jacob tries to get the other shepherds to leave. I'm sure he's trying to have a great opportunity to get to meet this daughter of Laban. But they say no. So then we get to verse 9 in this passage. It says, While he was still speaking with them, the other shepherds, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, 
his mother's brother, which, by the way, this is such a guy move, right? He sees the girl coming up, and he's like, oh, I've got to impress her, rolls the stone away, immediately starts watering the flock, right? It's the same guy who's going to do push-ups every time he sees a girl he likes. Um, I remember when I was one time climbing a mountain in Colorado. I was with the youth group of the church where my uncle preaches, and I was a little bit ahead on the trail, and I looked behind me, and there was a certain guy who was pursuing a certain girl in that youth group, and we're 12, 13,000 feet above sea level. The air's thin. And this guy is like doing upside down push-ups on the side of a rock trying to get this girl and it's like man this guy's desperate um, Here's Jacob doing a similar thing right? I'm sure it was out of respect But Jacob is sitting here in this moment and, and he looks for an opportunity to say hey uh, I'm gonna do everything I can. It's a total Daniel Thomas move if you ask me uh, And you see uh, sorry, sorry, Daniel, but not really. It's accurate. Um, <laughs> and you see Jacob do this little thing where he's going to go and he's going to serve Rachel in this moment. And, and he waters the flock. And I think this situation is probably a little bit different than the guy standing on the side of the mountain doing push-ups. Because in this instance, he knows that this, this daughter probably means a little bit more than some uh, than, than just pursuing a girl in high school. Verse 11 says... Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. This was an emotional moment. He weeps aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. This is an exciting moment for them. This is, this is that time for them when they realize, hey, our future could be becoming a reality. And then later on, we see Laban, the father of Rachel, in verse 13, welcome Jacob into their home. It's a joyful moment, and Jacob is going to stay with them for a month. And the story progresses in verse 15. It says, then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what will your wages be? Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Remember, he met Rachel recently, uh, a month ago in this story. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel and said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Jacob sits there and says, you know what? You know exactly what I want, Laban. You know why I'm here. You know I was seeking a wife. So what do I want in return for wages? I'll serve you for seven years if I can have your, uh, if I can have your daughter Rachel as my wife. And something I don't think I ever realized until I was preparing for this story was that this is not a Laban-suggested seven years. No, no, no. This is Jacob suggesting, let me serve you seven years, which, by the way, was far more than he probably needed to serve. See, what we're probably seeing here, um, what we're probably seeing here is, is this idea of, uh, is this idea um, where, where Jacob is sitting here, and even though he came from wealthy parents, he, he needs to prove to the father that he uh, can take his daughter and marriage. And in general, if this was the instance, it would only be a couple of years of servants. It wouldn't be the seven-year period but Jacob cared so much about Rachel that he sits here and says, I don't even want to risk it. I'm going to take this seven-year work seriously, and I'm going to suggest a much longer time than I needed to. Back in my day, uh, when it was time to marry someone, it was much easier. Uh, I simply took Amelia's father to eat lunch and asked him. And if he would have looked at me and said, you need to work seven years, um, I, of course, would have done it. Uh, but, but, but it was much easier. We didn't have to work seven years in order to earn Amelia, uh, 
But I think that it's an interesting thing that Jacob is the one who's going to suggest the seven years. He cared so much. Of course, Laban, and in verse 19 through 20, he's like, yeah, boy, we're going to do this. I'm all in. You're a good dude. I wouldn't have it any other way. And then we get to verse 19, where we get here, and he's going to say this. He says, it is better I give you, give her to you that I should get then I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. They had to be in their wedding vows, by the way. Um, Laban says, well, of course. And for Jacob, the time flies by because he loved Rachel so much. All I could do was think about her, and it's even more amazing because when you think about that time period, what they're not doing is getting to go on dates weekly. They're not getting to spend time together. No, 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 not at all. For them, it was a rare sighting of each other. Jacob was serving, so one day he could once again see her, and so it flies by for him. It would make a perfect Hallmark movie. Maybe someone should pitch it to Hollywood. Anyways, we get to the end of the seven years, and in verse 21, Jacob's like, you know what? I've done my time. Give me my wife. I'm, I'm ready to be here. And we get to verse 22. So Laban gathered all of the people of the place and made a feast. They're getting ready for this wedding. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Can you imagine what Jacob felt in this moment? During this time period, the bride would stay heavily veiled throughout the entire wedding feast, throughout the entire wedding ceremony. And Laban certainly rigged this evening so that it would be nighttime. you got to imagine there's no electric light, so it's not like they could see each other. And Jacob isn't going to realize this is Rachel, or Leah. Remember, he hasn't even had a lot of uh, social interaction with Rachel since that seven years prior. And he doesn't realize that this is Leah until the next morning. And, and you got to imagine... Uh, that for Jacob, it's not just a moment where he's waking up for the first time next to his wife and he smells the terrible breath and it's like a bad breath moment. No, no, no. For him, it's in senses of, whoa, that's not the woman I just married. That is someone who I've been, I've been tricked. I've been deceived. And he goes into Laban and he says, dude, I didn't work seven years for Leah. I worked seven years for Rachel. What have you done to me? He was irritated. And at the end of verse 25, he says the phrase, Why then have you deceived me? Jacob feels deceived. And why wouldn't he? The person he worked seven years for was not given to him. He was deceived by a family member, by a person he trusted, by his father-in-law, by the person, once again, and I think that it can't be iterated enough, that he worked seven years for. And Laban's going to tell him something that he should have been up front about in verse 26 when he sits here and he says, uh, and he says, it is, sorry, and he said, it is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Laban sits here and says, oh, by the way, yeah, you weren't going to get to marry Rachel because the custom is to, to give the older one as a bride first. 
Probably would have been nice to know that seven years earlier, Laban. I think about how long seven years is. Seven years ago, I would have been finishing up my sophomore year of high school. So seven years ago, uh, a lot changes in seven years. I went to college. I got a degree. Uh, I found a wife. Um, I guess we knew each other before seven years ago. But, but I'm now married. And, and so Laban's going to give an option. Hey, you can have Rachel as your wife. What's verse 27 say? He says, complete the week of this one, and we'll give you the other in return if you serve me for another seven years. How would you respond? At the beginning of the lesson, we talked about this idea of how are you deceived, and I said, how did you respond? If you're in Jacob's position here, how would you respond? I want us to go back into those family groups for just a minute. Um, I know some of you don't love them. I know some of you uh, thrive from family groups. What I want us to do, go back into those groups. I want you to discuss right now, if you're sitting in Jacob's shoes, what, are, what is your response to this instance when Laban says, yeah, sorry, buddy, you're going to have to work another seven years if you want Rachel. All right, go ahead, discuss in your families. How would you have responded to that? Alrighty, alrighty. I don't know what you guys just said as, as something that, that you would respond or how you would respond to Laban uh, in this situation. I, I can tell you how I would have responded to this moment of deception, how I would have moved onward from this moment of deception. I would have absolutely lashed out. You can, I would, I'm willing to confess that my anger and my temper would not be able to be controlled. I would have walked out of the place that I was talking to Laban, and I would have raged. I would have probably screamed uh, very loudly, uh, not into my pillow, because that would have definitely muffled uh, the, the anger that it would have been there. My face would have been all red. Uh, I would have sat there and I've been like, seven years wasted. Like, what are we doing here? And now you want me to work seven more years? Like, this is, a, this is a joke. I hate it. If I was in the position of Jacob, <laughs> I would have been an ugly sight. I wouldn't have moved on from this deception very well. But the coolest thing about Jacob is looking at how he moved onward. Verse 28. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife, verse 30. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Now, it might just be where, where Jacob's full reaction isn't written down, but I don't think that's the case. I think this is written down very intentionally, and the words that are used are very intentional. Jacob doesn't fight. He doesn't necessarily, in this moment, it becomes super angry. He, he doesn't lash out. Originally, you remember, he went to Laban and said, what have you done to me? This isn't right. But after Laban says, you can have Rachel if you serve me for seven more years, it just says, and Jacob did so. He does so and serves Laban Seven more years. Once again, to put it in perspective of my life, I will be 30, could possibly have children. A lot can change in seven years. A lot can change in 14 years. 
Jacob knows this, but he does it anyway. We see a really neat message from Jacob here, a a, a message that we can all take, a, a, a challenge that we can all take to apply to our life from this man who is going to become Israel, this man whose family is going to eventually lead to the lineage, to the birth of Christ. It's going to be here where we see a beautiful reflection of Christ's teaching long before Jesus comes to earth. And ask the question, how do we move on from deception? How do we look onward from deception? With humility and with gentleness. See, deception is very much getting slapped across the face. It's what happened to Jacob in this moment. It's being done wrong. And in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to teach about how to handle this, uh, how to handle situations like this. If you want to look at Matthew chapter 5, we're going to spend just a minute there. Keep your finger in Genesis. We're going to go back there in just a minute. Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon of the Mount on the Mount, and he talks about handle when people do, the, do you wrong, how to handle when people deceive you, how to handle when people lie to you. And the verses that we're about to read are not uncommon. They're pretty famous verses, famous enough to where a lot of people around the world are going to be able to sit there and say, yeah, that's something Jesus said, but it's very difficult to put in practice when in verse 38 Jesus says you have heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but I say to you do not resist the one who is evil but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek if anyone deceives you if anyone does you wrong turn to him the other also and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic if anyone would say you have to do this if We already agreed on this. The price is a lot higher than we originally agreed on. Let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. It's a passage that doesn't make sense. It doesn't get you ahead in the world. It doesn't make you money. It doesn't get you to a point of power. It doesn't get you what you want. It's not your natural instinct. It's not the turn and fight mentality. So I ask you right now to think back to that time when you were deceived. Did we handle it like this? Did we handle it with humility? Did we handle it by turning the other cheek? Do we handle handle it by by turning over our cloak or or going the extra mile? If we want to move onward from deception, if we want to move onward from these moments in our life as Christians, as, as followers of Christ, we have to understand the beauty of going the extra mile. See, for Jacob, in this moment, he, he looked at this instance, and when Laban said, you're going to have to serve me seven more years if, we, if you want Rachel, Jacob looked at it and said, you know what? For me, Rachel's worth it. For me, the reward of serving for another seven years, that's worth it. For us, the reward of, of looking homer from deception with humility and, and turning the other cheek, the reward for that is very worth it. That reward of a relationship that's more than just an earthly marriage, but a relationship with our Savior in heaven forever. 
Jacob, in that moment, saw the reward and made the decision to choose the reward. Are we going to make the decision to choose the reward? The thing about Jacob, though, is that you don't look at this guy and say, man, this guy is all perfect. This guy has it all together. What happened shortly before he met Rachel? Just a, a few days before he meets Rachel, it happens in chapter 27 of Genesis, where Jacob is seeking a blessing uh, from his father, even though he's not the firstborn. And Esau is going to get the blessing from his father. Esau, the brother. I said we would come back to the brother. Um, I was always an Esau fan, by the way. Uh, I don't know why. Um, I just was always an Esau fan. I was always a fan of the firstborn. I think it's because I'm also a firstborn. Um, and the younger brother always reminds me of my younger brother. And they're always jerks. So um, <laughs> it fits my younger brother. No, just kidding. I very much appreciate and love my younger brother. He's not a jerk. Anyways, sorry for that little sidebar of information. Um, but, but Jacob is seeking this blessing from his father when he definitely does not deserve it. And he, he and his mother work together to, yep, you guessed it, deceive the father in order to gain the blessing. Verse 18 of chapter 27 says, So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said to him, Here I am. Uh, who are you, my son? <laughs> listen to Jacob. Remember, listen to Jacob respond to his father. Who are you? He says, I am Esau, your firstborn. Isaac at this point is blind. He can't see. The world is darkness to him. And when it comes time, Jacob walks in and, and looking at his father who is blind, who can't see, who doesn't have light in his eyes, he lies about who he is. He says, I'm Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you have told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul might bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that if you have found game so quickly, my son? He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I might feel you, my son. Remember, Esau was very hairy. Jacob was smooth. To know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him as Jacob because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands because they had put wool or, or fur on his hands. So what did he do? He blessed him and he said, are you really my son Esau? And he answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near me that I might eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed me. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments, because Jacob had put on the garments, and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. And he blesses him. Seven years earlier, which seems like a long time in our world, but seven years earlier, two chapters earlier in the Bible, Jacob was the deceiver. And his brother, when he found out, was out to kill him. So why on earth do we see this man, the deceiver himself, do so well two chapters later at turning the other cheek? Why do we see him uh, want to, to do better? What, what changed in Jacob's heart? When Jacob was seeking the blessing of Isaac, 
He was seeking this idea of saying, okay, what am I going to be here? He was seeking the reward of his family, the blessing of his father. And then he finds something that to him is, is worth greater than deception. To him is worth greater than, than to, in his mind any possession. He found a person he loved. It was worth more than arguing and as we look at our lives and we think about as we go through life, deception is something that's going to be in our life. And I, I say the phrase deception, and, and I don't want us to, to sit here and be like, you know what, it takes me getting deceived. Deception is going to be getting done wrong by a teacher, getting done wrong by your boss, having someone treat you poorly, having someone lie to you. It's going to be moments when you just feel like you're not treated right. And it's time to move onward. Onward in a way that is going to say, I'm going to turn that other cheek and, and take on whatever else is going to come at me. The other challenge to this is maybe you're looking at your life and the outward Christian walk that people are seeing, the person that people are seeing here tonight is a deception of what's going on inside of you. Where what we're seeing here with what, what you're putting out there for people to see isn't real. Laban deceived Jacob for seven years. And Jacob had no idea he was going to be deceived. We can't let seven years go by where we deceive people about who's really inside. It's time for that change to happen now. For Jacob, moving onward from deception in, in a humble way, in a way of turning the other cheek, in a way of, of saying, all right, I'm going to work and go the extra mile, led to him being the father of a nation. For us, it can lead to the beauty of salvation. Let's move onward from deception and deceit tonight.